The best way to predict the future is to invent it. Stephen Ambrose brings you up to speed on what the future holds as he explores the latest technology as it impacts our lives. Well, welcome to High FM to Tech Talk. As always on a Thursday, um, this has been a crazy week. Sorry, our, our technology, I have to apologize. First of all, our technology decided to cut me off a little earlier. So we're starting just a tad late. But what a crazy week. We've had Facebook, Instagram, WhatsApp, WhatsApp downtime of pretty significant uh, lengths. And I'll explain what happened and try to clarify how it happened straight after this. We'll have a quick break for our sponsors and then we'll be back with the reason why you couldn't WhatsApp anybody for a while. This is Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose on 101.9 High FM. Well, welcome back. And as all of us know, heard and were affected by WhatsApp, Facebook and Instagram went down this week and they went down for up to six hours and beyond um, for the entire world. Now, just to give context here, there are up to two billion users on those platforms at any point in time, at any moment across the globe, communicating, uploading pictures, scrolling through Facebook stalking people, and it's not just the fact that people communicate. There's also a huge amount of services, sales, connections, you name it, going on through these various platforms. WhatsApp business went down, so anyone who was communicating with a business through their WhatsApp uh, channel could not do so. So an extremely, extremely significant outage of global proportions. There was talk that Facebook were losing a million dollars a second um, as the whole thing went down. And just to start, where and what happened was very simple, yet extremely complex. At the backbone of the um, Facebook platform was a controller that manages the network traffic between the global servers, not just servers in, in, in America, but servers everywhere across the world. It's something called the domain name server to, for the most part. And what happens is that backbone then directs the data to the various servers, be they WhatsApp servers, whatever it is, wherever those servers may lie. And you simply type on your, your phone and the next thing the message appears on someone else's phone, having been routed through these various servers across the globe. The problem came is that they did some configuration changes which somehow deleted the data on the system of where the address, let's put it this way, your phone number was deleted for a period. So no matter how often you try to call that number, no matter how often you try to send a WhatsApp, uh, scroll through your feed on Facebook or upload an Instagram, it just could not find the server where the service actually resided. So there was no connection externally from your device. So effectively, the system stopped working, stopped communicating, and absolutely nothing could happen across the platform. The challenge really is that no matter how quickly they could finally get to it, and the story reported by Facebook was quite interesting, they had to physically, physically get, and now we're talking about a world where things are all over the show. So they had to physically get to certain servers in certain data centers, which took them hours because of the security protocols and the distances needed to travel to reboot certain servers and reinstall software 
to get rid of the problem that had created the issue in the first part. It is inconceivable in this day and age of virtual everything where people just sit in their homes, sit in the bars, bath for that matter, sit on a boat in the Maldives, doesn't matter where you are, as long as you have a connection, you can then manage everything, had to physically put on their shorts and go and reboot a server like back in the 1990s. Quite spectacular. Anyway, and thereafter, it takes anything between 24 and 48 hours for those new data routing connections to propagate across the world because these various DNS servers and various backbone servers um, need to be updated, informed where the new data resides and how to connect to it. And that can take somewhere between 24 and 48 hours. However, for the most part, by the following morning, six to eight hours later, all systems were back up and running and all systems were working. The knock-on effect was very simple. One, a lot of signal and telegram and a lot of other instant messaging programs had millions and millions of sign-ups. Two, people had to talk to each other over dinner. They could not sit there scrolling through their smartphones and uploading their Instas or doing anything of that sort because all these programs were down. Twitter took off like mad. Everyone was back on Twitter trying to tweet. And Snapchat apparently became quite the thing that young people suddenly switched to. So it had a knock-on effect, probably a positive knock-on effect. It Long-term probably won't make any difference to Facebook, but it does highlight how utterly dependent we have become on all these mad um, social media and communication platforms, and we build our lives on it. Most people that I know hardly make a normal phone call. They rarely use the dialer on their phone, and they simply make phone calls through WhatsApp or through Facebook or through any other form of digital online platform. Making an actual real phone call through the real dialer of a phone seems to be becoming a bit of an afterthought. And these are simply the challenges that we have with technology. Facebook have said that they have done everything in their power to ensure that this does not happen again. And if any failures occur, which they do occur, they will be much more localized and much more uh, much less severe on the, on the global impact. But certainly, I think there's going to be some serious system changes and some soul-searching about what they're doing and how they're doing it because you cannot have two billion people unable to communicate with each other for a period that span, for the most part, a working day for a huge chunk of the world. So it was big. It was serious. I do believe that there was no malicious intent Facebook also con confirmed that they hadn't been hacked. So all your data is probably 100% safe. No problem there. But it did disrupt. It did create trouble. I got caught, sent some messages, was really worried that people had not seen them or what was going on, especially with kids who are not around. So it is quite important that you, you have alternatives, that you do actually be aware that these are simple online services that can actually go down and you should always have a backup. So download one of the others and keep it as a backup. They are more and more becoming uh, ubiquitous. People have got them. So you'll find most of your friends on many services. And on that note, we have to move on just a little, but it was quite something. Now, on that same same sort of trend and something that just shows where this is all going and again highlights the power of data, the power of technology and what is going on in the cloud. A local company called Terraco has opened a massive data center in Cape Town, probably the, well, it is the largest in Cape Town 
and one of the largest in the African continent for cloud services. And this is where Facebook and these guys keep their data, keep their services for local serving. So the growth of data centers in South Africa is mirroring the need for people to move into the cloud, to move their, their data centers off premises and into big, big mega places like Terraco. And it's a good, it's really a massive, uh, sort of, kudos to the South African environment that we need these data centers and they are actually growing them. There are new cables coming from uh, from Google which should go live in the next couple of months which will double or triple the capacity of South Africa's internet and theoretically, according to them, drop the prices down uh, by 20 to 25 percent which is never a bad thing and up the speed not only the capacity, but the general speed of the Internet because of the capacity they have on this network to Europe. So growth of data centers, growth of cables to the country, growth of the Internet and the lowering of prices are going to make us even more dependent on, on what goes on in the Internet. So we'll be back um, straight after this. I am now reviewing straight after the, the break in Tech Talk Cafe, the new iPhone 13 and iPhone 13 Pro Max which I've had the honor of being able to use for the last two weeks. So stay tuned. We're going to find out whether it's worth all the money to move to an iPhone 13 straight after this. This is Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose on 101.9 High FM. Well, gone are the days where people used to camp for days outside the Apple store for the launch of the latest Apple phone Apple whatever that Apple were releasing, there seems to be a much greater maturity in the market with regard to the latest Apple announcements. However, from the most part, having a look what goes down on social media, having a look at the chatter on the various platforms, there's no question that every Apple release has massive impact. And for, in my opinion, for the most part, Apple has been setting the agenda in smart devices computers, tablets, and, and, and certainly smartwatches for many, many years. Not to say that there aren't a ton of other really good quality products from, from really good companies such as Samsung and others out there in the world, but Apple seems to have been able to just manage to stay ahead in terms of the cutting edge, the latest. And the real truth is, objectively, many companies, notably Samsung, generally bring out new technology way in advance of when Samsung does, uh, when Apple does. So, for example, the latest foldable phones from from Samsung are unique, extremely well thought out, third generation, and for the most part, extremely useful, whereas Apple hasn't even got there yet. The chances are they will. There's lots of rumors that Apple will have a foldable device in the nearish future, probably sometime next year. But Apple tend to innovate in a, in a much more controlled manner. But when they do, the impact on the market is pretty, pretty substantial. And of course, the iPhone 13, their annual update to the iPhone Pantheon hit the world oh, two weeks ago, uh, for the most part, and will be on sale this Friday, tomorrow the 8th, in South Africa, which is pretty good. Two weeks after global launch, all the products available in South Africa. The good news for you Apple aficionados is that the pricing in South Africa is extremely competitive. It's somewhere between the US price and the EU price. Obviously, when you take VAT and taxes into account, it's not quite as competitive as the, as the US price. But certainly the pricing 
considering where the rand is currently, is very competitive. It's slightly, it's not much different to what it was last year. And the range is as we've expected, as you've seen. You've got the iPhone 13, the iPhone 13 mini, um, and then you've got the iPhone Pro and the Pro Max. I've been playing, fortunately, with an iPhone 13 and an iPhone 13 Pro Max. And I must report that in many ways, this is an incredibly incremental upgrade from the iPhone 12. Visually and from pretty much every aspect, having a look at the devices, you will, you, if they're down, if they're in a cover on the, on the desk, you have to be really smart to be able to pick up that the iPhone Pro has a slightly bigger camera setup. The same goes for the iPhone 13. And the only real giveaway is that the the arrangement of the cameras in the iPhone 13 are now diagonal and not vertical, which is a dead giveaway. So if you see two diagonal cameras, you know it's a 13. If you see two horizontal cameras on the left, one beneath the other, then you are talking about an iPhone 12. What they are bringing to the market is very simple. Both of them, um, both the iPhone 13 and the iPhone 13 Pro Max, or Pro for that matter. The Pro and the Pro Max are almost identical devices in almost every re respect. Very little difference in price. Obviously, there's huge difference in size. That depends on what you want. But when I'm talking about the Pro Max, you can pretty much assume that everything I say about a Pro Max or the iPhone 13 uh, applies across the other variants in that range. The iPhone 13, for it, and what are the big changes from the 12 are a brighter and higher quality display, They've improved the cameras significantly, both on the 13. If anything, I would say the iPhone 13 cameras are now better than the old iPhone or the iPhone 12 cameras. And in some lighting, some good quality conditions, very indistinguishable from the Pro or the Pro Max. Very, very little between them. So an incredible um, bump in the cameras. Both talking cameras, both the 13 and the 13 Pro Max have the new cinematic video mode. I've used it. I've tried it. I've been playing with it. It works extremely well. It's a little bit tricky to get right. And I think that's more my lack of understanding of how it works than the camera's ability to create it. And the interesting thing is that this is not the camera. This is the software, the new processor that both, that all the devices have and the new subsystem that manages the cameras, and I'm not getting into the technical technical bits of that, the various co-processors, video processors, and artificial intelligence processors all work together to do things that normal cameras cannot do, that you normally need very, very sophisticated professional cameras with regard to this variable focus that comes in the cinematic mode. All of that is done in software. All of that is stored within the actual file that you take so you can vary it using the appropriate tools once you've taken the picture. So all of this is pretty cool. And the videos that I've seen done by professionals who really understand it are pretty spectacular. This is stuff that's happening on a phone that could not happen on a small portable device up to now. And the leap is bigger than any of us can imagine. They are doing in software, doing in a combination of software and hardware in a tiny little 200 gram phone that you hold in your hand, stuff that used to take hundreds of thousands of rands worth of professional cameras and all sorts of complicated setups to even get close to. So a huge leap in what is possible with cameras. 
What I've also noticed across the entire um, photograph taking ability of these two devices is that whatever they've done in the software to try to and, and in the hardware that uses and fixes the software is they've definitely upped the game in terms of contrast, color. You also get an option now in iOS 15 to be able to choose what type of picture, vivid, soft, um, or natural. You can actually choose the type of processing that you want to give you the type of picture that you want. So I've been able to use it for certain different uses. If I want to do soft portraits or some long scenes uh, with sunlight and that, and, you know, in the, in the fields, I find that a soft image gives a lot of a lot of a sort of a soft, easy feeling to things. But if I want detail, I want sharpness. I want to take pictures of things and places. The sharper setting gives tremendous detail, incredible focus, and fantastic contrast. So the cameras on both devices have come a huge way. That and in of itself, if you if if taking photos and camera is absolutely critical for you is the one compelling reason to upgrade, even from an iPhone 12. If you just simply do good quality, happy snaps, and you take pictures of friends, family, and just some general stuff for Instagram and whatever, the difference is not that great between a 12 and a 13. So a 12 Pro, well, the 12, the iPhone 12 and the iPhone 13 is a much bigger gap than an iPhone 12 Pro and an iPhone 13 Pro. So... There, if you've got an iPhone 12 Pro, the upgrade decision, if cameras are not the most critical part of what you do, is probably wait for the 14. If you've got an iPhone 12 and you really want to get a bump in your, your ability to take cool pictures, then the iPhone 13 is a significant upgrade. But overall, you won't be disappointed with the improvements that Apple have made in the entire stack of software and hardware and cameras that is being presented in the iPhone 13. It's seriously a big improvement. And, and like all improvements, once you've seen how good it is, once you've used it, it is very, very difficult to go back down to a camera that's not quite as good. Now, I've also compared it to the latest generation Samsung cameras. And although for the most part, the Samsung cameras are absolutely outstanding, I've found that sometimes I prefer the balance of the iPhone 13 cameras to the Samsung cameras. That's personal preference. The new, the new cameras on the latest versions of the Fold and the, the other Samsung Galaxy Note are outstanding as well. Perhaps not as easy to use. Perhaps not without the, with the same sort of facility to, to adjust. However, we are now really getting to a point where smartphone cameras are rivaling professional cameras in the most ridiculous way. The other big changes and changes that are really worth looking at from an iPhone 12 to an iPhone 13 is the screens. The screens are distinctly brighter, distinctly, I think, more color accurate. They just have a, a, a vividness and a clarity, which is hard, again, to, to not see once you've seen it. And once you've used it compared to an iPhone 12 or 11 or anything prior, it definitely is worth the update. The big update, of course, is the fact that the Pro and the Pro Max have gone to 120 hertz displays. Now, this is something that the Android guys have been doing for quite a while, a year or two already, and it makes a huge difference in the fluidity and the feel of the screen. 
when you're swiping through emails, when you're swiping through a um, a website, and most especially when you're playing games, a 120 hertz display will make everything incredibly fluid and smooth. You won't have any jaggedness. You won't have any delay. You won't find that the picture goes a bit weird on the screen and then comes right, even though that happens so quickly on most phones that you don't really notice it until you put it next to a screen that doesn't do it. So the new 120 Hz displays, which are also very smart, because generally the faster you refresh the screen, the more it hits your battery, the lower your battery life becomes. So it's a trade-off between smoothness and clarity and um, and battery life. Well, the new 120 Hz screen on the Pro Max, it's not on the iPhone 13. It is available on the Pro Max. It's one of the differentiators between the two. Is a huge improvement. It is incredibly smooth, fast, and easy to use. You don't even notice it, but it just adds a polish and a, a smoothness to the phone on gaming especially, but on everything. Looking at pictures, scrolling through your Facebook feed when it works. Sorry, a little bit of a, a sharp jab there. But anyway, it is well, well, well worth the, um, well worth the, the price to get that. So that, for the most part, is are the two major visible changes. The other changes which are really worth looking at and understanding is that these phones, all of them, come with a new A15 Bionic chip, which, once again, you need to understand that most phones around the world use chips from third-party manufacturers. So Samsung do make their own chips, and for the most part, they do supply their phones with their own chips. However, due to licensing issues in America, they have to use Qualcomm chips. Outside of the world, the ones you buy here use their own uh, Exynos chips. But Apple is one of the only companies, or sorry, it is the only company that controls the full stack. They create their processes. They manufacture them themselves, not physically, but they have them made for themselves using some of the most advanced technology on the planet, which is always uh, important. And they also control the software and every other aspect of the device going forward. So it's a highly integrated platform which allows them to tweak and optimize to a level that the Android people just actually cannot reach. And on all benchmarks, the, the, the processes from Apple seem to way exceed what is possible on any other smartphone platform. And the A15 Bionic, which is their latest processor, has pushed that envelope even further. It is using the latest manufacturing technology, which is just starting to filter through into other processes across both laptops, computers, and other phones. It also has all the necessary co-processors, video processors, um, AI processors built into one simple chip, which cuts back on, on complexity, cuts back, interestingly, on cost, and it also improves battery life significantly. So, this processor, again, my experience, not a visibly dramatic difference to the iPhone uh, 12. It's the iPhone 12 Pro Max and the iPhone 13 Pro Max are not that different in look. They're not that different in feel. But the, there's no question that when processing really heavy um, data like videos and that, it makes a huge difference with the A15 Bionic. The, the scrolling is faster, smoother, the processing pictures pop up quicker, videos get processed much faster, gaming appears on the screen quicker and seems to have a completely 
uh, not completely different, but a much more polished depth. So the processor definitely makes a significant uh, improvement and expect as the software iOS 15 starts getting optimized for the latest and, and tweaked to take advantage of all the new features of the A15 Bionic, expect that to get even better. For the most part, not a big difference between that and the top ends and the top end Android devices, but generally games load faster, the graphics are a little bit sharper and clearer, and they just seem to work a little bit more smoothly on um, on the Apple devices for lots of different reasons. The Pro has a 12 megapixel telephoto wide and ultra wide angle lens. They've increased the quality of those. I've spoken a lot about it. It really is um, quite a big deal. The only teeny disappointment is their 12 megapixel true depth front camera. It is very clever. It follows you when you're taking videos uh, or using video conferencing. There's some really smart technology built into that. But uh, the quality of that camera is beaten by a number of its Android friends. It's very good, but it's certainly not cutting edge. These All the devices are IP68 waterproof, so they really uh, do work very well across, you know, all sorts of environments, dump, dunk them in water, spill a beer or some wine on it, just wash them off and get on with your business. Just remember, try to keep the water out of the little um, slot at the bottom where you charge it. On charging, uh, the rumor was that uh, Apple would be going away from the, the lightning connector that they use currently, and they may well have to because Europe is looking to pass laws to say the only connector that would be acceptable is a USB-C. That may happen, and Apple are using it across their iPads, across their computers. There's just so many different, um, so many different, uh, you know, scenarios around that. But expect it to happen at some point. Is the the um, magnetic charging? I found it really, really fast, pretty good. It's not as quick as some of the rivals out there, even with a cable. The iPhone does not charge that far, that much faster than mo- many other devices. However, there are two things in the battery life. And again, this might, might be a compelling reason to upgrade from a 12 to a 13. The battery life on the iPhone 13 is between one and a half and two hours better than the previous generation, the 12. And that doesn't sound like a lot. But if you consider that battery life was nominally 18 hours, a two-hour battery life is a significant bump in battery life. And the difference is, come four, five, six at night after a busy day, you don't need to top up the phone. The phone is sitting at 30 40%. You can go out. You don't have to worry about losing your navigation ability or, or not being able to call that Uber until late, late, late at night. Both the 13 and the – well, I'll talk about the 13 first. That is a real bump. The effect is the phone is marginally thicker, and because the camera bump is slightly different – None of the cases from the 12, um, the 12 and prior work at all. So you need new cases, unfortunately, as they do on all these devices. The Pro Max battery life increase is really significant. Can't comment on the Pro Max on the, on the iPhone Pro or the iPhone 13 Pro because I don't have one of those, but the Pro Max improvement in battery life is spectacular. Generally, after a really heavy day running around, navigating, doing stuff, by, by 8 o'clock, I needed to top up the phone. It was almost finished on the 12. On the 13, comfortably get to 11, 12 at night with, with 10, 20, 25% spare. No problem whatsoever. And that, for me, is a huge, huge, huge improvement. So 
to wrap up my review of the iPhone 13, running the latest iOS 15, which is available on the 12, it is an incredibly polished, smoothed device. Smooth device. The upgrade is very iterative. It's not a huge change. It's not something that you will just go, wow, I got to have this. So to upgrade from a 12 to a 13, for the most part, both the Pro and the Standard, is more about having your needs. One, if you need the best camera on the market from an Apple device, there's no question the upgrade is worth just the camera. If you need more battery life, the upgrade is certainly worth it. Otherwise, I would say this is a generation for people with an iPhone 10, 11, and before. Huge improvement, massive change. And if you're an avid videographer and you need battery life, then it's a no-brainer for a 12. But overall, 12 people should skip it, wait for the 14. Anyone before that, it's a great upgrade, well worth the difference, and available next uh, tomorrow in stores across the country. Apparently, it will be limited. But my time with these two devices has been really interesting. There's a smaller notch on the front. I forgot to mention that. The screens are really great. The, 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 the phones are, t- are tad heavier, bigger batteries. But other than that, spectacular upgrade, well worth the Apple uh, premium, in my humble opinion. And we'll be back straight after this, and uh, we'll continue with some more gizmos and gadgets. This is Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose on 101.9 High FM. Well, welcome back. And then you you know what they say, an apple a day keeps the doctor away. I'm not sure that that uh, refers to smartphones, but that's a whole different discussion for a completely different show. Moving on to even more exciting stuff. You may be aware, many of you who wish to travel, that the government is preparing to launch their, their digital vaccine certificates. And there's been all sorts of rumors this week that it's live going up. People have been trying it. A couple of people I know even managed to obtain their certificates. And for the most part, I'm sure it's coming very soon. However, um, the government have, or the Department of Health have announced that they are still testing. If you manage to get a certificate, you are super lucky. But it will go live tomorrow. And that will allow you, you need your, your name, your ID number, and your EVDS reference number. Once you plug those three into the vaccine certificate site, it will then give you an official vaccine certificate that should be able, with a QR code, that should be able to be scanned by a third-party scanner to verify that that certificate is real and it will be used. In Europe, it has been a huge success in getting the last remaining anti-vaxxers or people who are hesitant about vaccines into the vaccine platform. It's taken France from 70% to over 80%. It's taken the Netherlands from 75% to 85%. And people are rushing because you can't get into restaurants, you can't get into plays, you can't go to the soccer, you can't do a whole host of things unless you've got your vaccine certificate. So watch it. Tomorrow will probably be a bit of a nightmare. It's not being enforced anywhere in South Africa, so there's no real rush yet. But there is no question that it's going to become ubiquitous and it will be an excellent way to convince people that they need their vaccine certificates. It's not an app. It's a website you go to and you can download your certificate with the QR code onto your phone. You can print it. You can do all sorts of things with it. It's not quite the same as the European vaccine certificate. And at this stage, if you're going to be traveling in December, I'm not even sure if it will be interoperable with the vaccine certificates in, in Europe. The good news is that England is taking us off the red list today. 
So hopefully we'll be traveling and we will need a vaccine certificate to get around. I trust that the government will get it interoperable, at least recognized by other global countries, which will make our lives, if we travel during the next year or so, a lot, lot, lot simpler. But it's good news and it's smart and it's about time. And I think we just need to push hard, get everyone as many or as many people as possible vaccinated as, as we can in the shortest time and let life come back to normal and back to the way that we should be. Now, changing quickly for the last little segment of, um, of, the, of the program today, Windows 11 launched on October the 5th. Now, I've spoken a little bit about Windows 11 over the, little, over the last little while. And Windows 11 is not a revolutionary improvement, but it is a big, big, big deal. Windows have not, they've been tweaking the Windows uh, 10 operating system for the last or five years that it's been out. And for the most part, it's a ubiquitous, easy to use, pretty uh, comprehensive and simple platform for the vast majority of us. 99% of businesses run, or 95%, maybe I'm getting my stats wrong, run on Windows. Corporate South Africa use Windows as a default. It's become the de facto system that you don't even realize you log in, you do your work, you use your Word, you use your Excel, you do whatever you need to do, and it just happens to run on a platform. Well, Windows have decided to tr do a couple of things here. One, they want to really refresh the look and make it much more comprehensive and much more up-to-date in many ways. And the first thing you'll see with Windows 11 is that it has a very clean, modern, fresh look. The fact that it looks a lot like uh, iOS, or not iOS, I mean Apple OS, is neither here nor there. It has a very lovely central bar at the bottom with all your icons popped on it. When you open it up, it's rounder, it's clearer, it's simpler, and it really does um, take Windows quite a long way towards feeling much more fresh and much more modern. However, in typical Windows fashion, as you dig down into the operating system and you, you start clicking on more granular Windows to set things up, you land up back in the good old Windows uh, XP type vibe with some really crazy screens that actually came out of the 90s. But they are now... That was always there in Windows 10. Windows 11, that is much, much, much less visible. You really have to uh, dig right down to the bottom end of, of hardware and software changing to see them. But they are there. So overall, it seems to be um, a lot slicker. They've got snap layouts, snap groups, desktops that provide an even more powerful way to multitask without third. So you can have multiple desktops without any third-party software Microsoft Teams, this is quite a big one, is now fully integrated into the taskbar and works across private and corporate platforms in a slick and easy way. And it pretty much takes the, takes, completely takes over from where uh, Skype was. Now Skype is still available, you can download it, you can install it, but Microsoft Teams is essentially built on the Skype technology and Skype platform. So Microsoft Teams is Skype with a business suit on. Uh, and, and for the most part, all the effort that's gone in over the last two years to get it up to scratch and to compete with the likes of uh, Zoom has gone a long way. Microsoft Teams is an exceptionally good um, platform. It really is a great way to communicate. It has deep integration into Office and into the various parts of the, the Windows operating system, so it makes life super, super easy. If you're a gamer, they've 
improved an enormous amount of, of parts and, and the DirectX is now the latest version 12, direct storage, auto HDR for certain games if it's built in. It's got an Xbox Game Pass for PC, which you can access tons of high-quality PC games which play directly on Windows 11, obviously for a fee. The new Microsoft Store is there. There's just so many different things. And I'll talk straight after this quick break about what there are some caveats now. Not every PC is going to be able to download Windows 11, something that they're going to have to work on, but I think it's a security thing more than anything. But we'll be back with that straight after a quick break for our sponsors. This is Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose on 101.9 High FM. Well, welcome back. And a quick wrap-up on the Windows 11 upgrade and some of the specifications you need to be able to download Windows 11. A lot of people are very, very scared about these sorts of upgrades. If your device is compatible, Windows Update will automatically prompt you to update your, your device to Windows 11, and it will be a very simple and easy and straightforward upgrade. There has been very, very few reports of problems during the upgrade process. No data is lost. You simply get a new look and feel with all the benefits of Windows 11. I found that the Wi-Fi stack seems to have improved considerably, much better performance on Wi-Fi, easier to set up, easier to manage and control. So a lot of little things they've refined over the years in a pretty significant way. So if your device advises you that it's compatible with Windows 11 and it can be downloaded, it will do so pretty much automatically over the next couple of days or whatever. You can force it by continually checking. And it's a, it is an excellent upgrade for the most part. If your device is new and um, capable, I think you'll have no problem. You don't have to worry too much about memory. It's actually an, ex, an extremely decent upgrade for free. That's the other thing that you've got to understand. But some of the system requirements, unfortunately, for some of the older PCs and some of the um, PCs with maybe limited hardware capacity will be a problem. You've got to be running Windows 10. That's the first thing. You can't upgrade from Windows 7 or anything prior to that. You need a compatible 64-bit processor um, on your on your your computer. For the most part, all the modern ones the last four or five years are. You need minimum 4 gig of RAM, which is, again, not a huge one. And you need 64 gig of storage space. Again, not a huge thing. This is where things get a little bit interesting. You need a UEFI secure boot capable. Not every PC may meet that. And the next thing you need as well, so you need both of these to be able to upgrade to Windows 11, is a TPM chip on your PC, which is a trusted platform module. And that is a security thing. Without a TPM chip, there are there is a possibility your, your PC can be compromised from the boot level up where with this chip it becomes pretty much directly uh, impossible. So if it doesn't have a, a UFI secure boot capable and a TPM chip, you will not be able to update to Windows 11. It will remain on Windows 10, which for the foreseeable future, next 5, 10 years, maybe not 10, but the next 5 years, you will be able to update it with all the latest security and performance patches because the underlying platform that they're both built on is identical. It's the interface and some refinements that have changed. And you won't have any problem, but you cannot move to Windows 11. But if you do have um, all the necessary requirements, again, I said Windows 11 really do bring a lot of performance. My use of Windows 11 on a compatible um, Dell 
XPS 13 has been very, very positive. It's smoother, it runs faster, it looks slicker. Can't tell much difference between that and my Mac for the most part. However, Windows, Office 365 and Office programs always have a little bit of an edge on a Windows machine. And generally, the file system, the way that Windows works is is, is, is excellent. So if you're working for business, you're traveling, you're doing whatever you need to do, Windows 11 is a well, well, well worth um, considering upgrade. And if I scroll through the devices that are compatible, pretty much every modern device from the last year or so, from every manufacturer, Acer, Lenovo, HP, Asus, Dell, you name it, are compatible with XP, with uh, Windows 11. And as I said, the upgrade is big. Do not do it over a, a metered mobile connection. Do it over Wi-Fi. But once you download the necessary, it's fast, it's slick. It's much more user-friendly for the most part in terms of how it operates and what it does. And generally, you can set it up any which way you like. It's not a huge learning curve for the average user of Windows 10. It's more a slightly smoother, slicker interface and something that's quite a lot easier to use. What I'd suggest is that if you don't feel comfortable doing it, speak to your local tech guru, ask them to check your laptop out. There's a little program they can run to say whether it uh, will work or won't work. But Windows 11 looks like a significant upgrade and a well-thought-out, carefully-considered upgrade from Microsoft so they don't break anything, and yet they bring Windows right up to date, right into the sort of modern era, keeping it fresh, keeping it clean, keeping it super functional, and most importantly, keeping it super secure in this crazy time where, where security and privacy has become quite the conversation amongst everybody. And on that note, I'm told our time has run out once again. Talking Tech makes time fly. I hope you enjoyed some useful stuff. As always, you can catch me and some of my guests on the show every Thursday between 11 and 12. And there's always new and exciting stuff happening in the tech world. So I can promise you should not get bored listening to tech for an hour. This is Stephen Ambrose for Tech Talk right here on High FM.